This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is the Hot Stove Report. Going, going, goodbye baseball. On 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle app. Yes, it is the final hot stove report before reporting down to Arizona. Aaron Goltz with Gary Hill and number 16, Mike Flowers, is in the house. Flower Power, man, I it feels good to see you again. It's good to be seen. <laughs> How are you? I'm doing good. How about you? Doing very well. Doing you very look well. fantastic. I do? Yeah. You really mean that? I do. I can mm. tell that that off-season workout program that you've been texting me about, it's paying off. So, Gary, did so I, Blow and I, I don't even know how this came up. We, it was like the last week or two weeks of the season. A lot of hours in a plane, man. Yeah. And I, I don't know if like I was looking at Tom Murphy or something, who will be a guest on the show tonight, by the way. He's coming up in the next segment. And I was like, Blow, I'm I'm putting on 20 pounds of muscle this offseason. Yeah. <laughs> and Blow's like, I think I, I think I first started, I think I started with, I must have had a lot of iced teas because I think I started off with 30. I think you did. You did. <laughs> you did. That is absolutely true. Ah, there it is. Gary, nice beard, yeah. by the way. Yeah. Thank you. And, uh, and then we somehow talked me off the ledge to 20, and then Blow was like, listen, man, you, you put on 20, and I'll lose 20. And I'm like, iron sharpens iron, man. This is it <laughs> right here, right? Like, yeah. we will be the ones who roll into Peoria in the best shape of our lives. Oh, I'm failing miserably. <laughs> and I text Blow. <laughs> like I'm gonna say it was like eleven days into the off season. Yeah, I literally I literally texted him like from a mat at the gym, right? I'm like, oh, bro, just at the gym, exhausted, put on two pounds. And he gave me a lot of like LOLs, right? And then my wonderful wife uh had our third child. <laughs> and then uh our whole life ended. So <laughs> I got plus two. I haven't checked in recently. Uh-huh. Um, if I'm plus any more than that, it's like not the good weight. So like, can we start it over? Like, can we start this maybe come like opening day? Like, I, I hope so. Okay. I want to have not reported yet. There's still time. There is still time. There's still time. All right. There's apparently plenty of time for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, this is the, I mean, I, this is, you know, the, the baseball season is a funny thing because we see each other, uh, in this case, Gary Blow and myself, we see each other more than we see our children and our wives during the baseball season. And then the season ends, and then Mike gets in his truck and he drives to his cave, and <laughs> where the cave has no cell service. I, actually, it's funny because it has cell service for his family, but not for Mike. Uh-huh. I don't know why our, his calls to him don't ever go through. Uh-huh. And so this is my first time seeing Blow since uh, the final out of the season. We'll be seeing a lot of each other uh, coming up shortly. But it is generally good to see you, man. And you, you look great as well, and I'm glad you. everything's going well for you too. Thank you. You, you don't take it personally, do you? Because at this point, <laughs> you think, know. Kind of, honestly, I think we all know, I think right? the first winter, I was like, man, I thought Blow and I had like something going. Yeah, and you're then going realized, over to Rick's house. And, <laughs> yeah. And then I realized, hey, well, Blow's not at these get-togethers either. <laughs> <laughs> 
I think he just. I think each year he just throws his cell phone into the trash and gets a new one, uh-huh. like the first day of spring training or something. That's about right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, hey, we do have a terrific show. Gary's done a great job putting together some fantastic guests in the first hour. Uh, coming up, we're going to hear from Tom Murphy, who, when you go back and you think about last year, uh, Tom Murphy might not be, in fact, he probably isn't the first name that comes to your mind from the 2019 season for the Mariners, but he was a really pleasant surprise and will have a major role once again for the Mariners in 2020. Tim Laker, Mariners hitting coach, will be with us. We're going to get a little nerdy with Andrew Simon, who is a researcher and writer for MLB.com. He has a large bend towards StatCast, so that'll be good stuff at the end of the first hour. Shannon Dreyer joins us on the phone in the second hour. I think Shannon's been down for like a month. Yeah. Sound about right? I think she went uh, uh, after we did the show two weeks ago. Yeah. Like <laughs> I think it was like uh-huh. New Year's Day she went down to Peoria. <laughs> so we'll, we'll hear from uh, Shannon. Also, uh, Joe Doyle, who is a contributor for Baseball America, also Lookout Landing, just wrote a really interesting piece on J.P. Crawford and his expectations uh, for J.P. He has some uh, statistical analysis that would uh, make you believe that uh, J.P.'s in line for a really good season. And it sounds like we'll also hear from Art Warren at the back end, our Warren, and the back end of the show as well. Uh, so a lot of good stuff coming our way tonight on the final hot stove. Uh, position players reported yesterday. The first game of springtime is on Saturday, and then opening day, of course, March twenty sixth versus the Texas Rangers. Gary, so uh, the clock is now ticking on the season. Yeah, starting to think about it. Uh, Technically, this probably shouldn't be a hot stove, right? Since everyone's reported now, we're officially into spring training. Hot so, stove is kind of the opposite. So, is this the, is this the Cactus League report? It should be the Cactus League report. Okay, I understand that, but you know, yeah, I'm with you. Just technically, sure, technicalities. Uh, you know, blow when you start thinking about this time of the year. I mean, this is uh, for a lot of players who will be coming to spring training this year, and right? this is a chance to earn a job and some really significant playing time and to try to be a part of the future for the Mariners. I mean, this is going to be a really interesting spring training in terms of uh, seeing a lot of guys that maybe we saw a little bit of last year and some guys that we didn't see at all last year in the majors. I think that for myself, when we get to camp and we watch them um, run out there and start playing games, for me, you mentioned the young guys. There's going to be a lot of them. A lot of them will be on this club. But we're also going to get a little bit of a peek into some of the guys that have taken a step or two closer to the major leagues also um, and get a chance to see them and what their progress has been and what they have done over the winter uh, to improve. So I think that there's a lot that's going to be going on throughout spring training. Um, I'm not so sure, outside of maybe the bullpen, that there are a lot of jobs to mm-hmm. win. Um but still, it's going to be fun to watch a lot of these young players get an opportunity and see what they're able to do with it. We'll have a lot of chances to see that in spring training and also throughout the course of the season. One of the guys who uh, we got to know very well last year, Tom Murphy, Mariners catcher, he joins us next on the Hot Stove Show. Back to more of the Hot Stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. The 0-1 of Murphy. Swing and a well-hit ball deep to left field. Going and going and goodbye baseball. Tom Murphy with his second home run of the night. His 15th of the year. Holy smokes, what a run for Tom Murphy. This one is way out of here. The Mariners now lead the Rays by a score of 9-1. Tom Murphy has been something. Well, we heard a lot of that last year. 
about Mariners catcher Tom Murphy. Welcome back inside the Hot Stove Show. Aaron Goldsmith, Gary Hill, and Mike Blowers. Tom, it is great to visit with you. Uh, first of all, how are things? How, how are the early days of Arizona treating you? I can't complain, that's for sure. Uh, especially coming from upstate New York in the off season. Uh, it's always nice coming down here and getting things rolling outside here in this nice weather. Now, I, I do have to ask, I'm always curious about guys who train in cold-weather climates. Oh, what is your training situation? How do you manage the weather and still get ready for springtime in New York? So luckily I have uh, access to an indoor facility that's uh, kind of used as like a soccer facility slash baseball facility uh, that's like very large, uh, very open. So uh, there's a few batting cages in there, an iron mic and stuff. So I, I just stick to indoors and everything I need is right there inside that facility. How do you go about your routine and how have you adjusted it the past few years, your off-season routine? Um, yeah, I haven't adjusted too much, honestly. I, I always, um, actually, I, I guess the base adjustment I, I have made throughout the years is just maintaining, uh, hitting off velocity, uh, making sure that I'm always ready to hit uh, fastballs off of machines and stuff like that. Just always seeing the, you know, the, the faster speeds coming at me. Um, I feel like that's something I have adjusted over time, whereas early on in my career, maybe I would have just done flips and regular BP and that sort of thing in the off season. But uh, I've learned that uh, being ready to hit a fastball is probably about as important as anything. So that's a, that's a big one. That's a big one for me. Tom, with, with all the changes that are going to happen with the club this year and everything that you guys went through last year, and I know as far as the catching part of it, having to get to know a lot of different pitchers when you kind of think about the bullpen and everybody that was involved in it, we talk about it all the time, just how difficult that can be. How difficult is it for you when you start thinking about the amount of guys that you have to learn and get to know and what their strengths are and, and how they want to pitch to people in certain situations? Yeah, there's definitely a challenge there. Um, you know, no doubt that more the more time you're able to spend with the pitcher, the better relationship you're going to have with them both on and off the field. Um, you know, so that, that always comes into play pretty quickly. But at the same time, um, it also makes you work a little bit harder. You know, you, you want to gain those uh, new pitchers' trust as quickly as you can. So you're going to do everything you can to make sure that, that happens smoothly and quickly and that they can trust you out there on the field. We're visiting with Mariners catcher Tom Murphy here on the Hot Stove Show. Now, Tom, it's really interesting where you are today versus where you were, let's call it, a year ago. You know, the Mariners uh, acquire you kind of at the 11th hour last year. They had Omar Narvaez here. It was a really good platoon that you two set, had set up. And then as the season went on, we saw more and more Tom Murphy, and your production continued to increase as the season went along. And lo and behold, I mean, you go into this year with what would appear to be an even larger role. Omar has been traded to Milwaukee, of course. What has just the last year been like for you professionally? And obviously this is you couldn't have really scripted your time in Seattle any better than what the first season has gone. Yeah, um, no, last year, you know, compared to right where I'm at right now is, is a complete 180. Uh, kind of sitting in a, in a spring training last year, you know, almost knowing your fate, uh, knowing that there wasn't much you could do. Uh, the, the decision was already made uh, to be DFA'd and that sort of thing, and then to be traded to San Francisco and then up to Seattle a couple days later, um, and then just kind of solidify myself towards the end of the year that, you know, I was ready for a larger role or at least uh, another shot. And, 
you know, covering the camp here and being the number one guy after this off season. Uh, it's, I mean, it's, it's unbelievable what a year can do in your career. And, uh, you know, that, that persistent pays off for sure. What was the key for you last year offensively? Um, yeah, it was, it was a lot of things. It was, uh, you know, an opportunity to fail. Uh, it was an opportunity to go out and learn, you know, how to hit in the big leagues, how to deal with all the different pressure and all the different uh, atmospheres and that sort of thing. Uh, and then it goes to the coaching as well. I came over here and um, immediately hit it off with Tim Laker and Jared Hart, and and those guys really drove me to be a better hitter overall for sure um, on both sides, you know, the physical side and the, the mental approach side. Uh, having a game plan side, I mean, those guys are, are lights out. They're as good as it gets. And, uh, you know, I'm definitely thankful for all the time and effort they spent with me last year for sure. I know when I was talking to Scott throughout the season last year, he talked about, um, Tom, you getting to the ballpark early and preparing yourself when you were in the lineup on a given day or even when you guys were just had a new series that was starting in the as a collective group of catchers and pitchers getting together um, and going over scouting reports. Uh, what were some of the things that you learned from that last year? And you mentioned it coming into camp this year. Um, a year has made a huge difference for you. Where do you anticipate your role being in those meetings this year? Yeah, for me, uh, the preparation is everything. It's, uh, you know, kind of going into a major league game without a plan is, is not a good feeling at all. It's, you're completely vulnerable. There's, it's, it's obvious that you didn't prepare. Uh, and that's never a situation I want to find myself in. So I put as much time and effort um, going into new series as anything just to just to figure out the other team and figure out what we want to do. Uh, because at the end of the day, that uh, that primary plan that you're going into the game with is is everything. You know, it's a, it's exactly where you're basing all your decisions off of. Uh, so without you know adequate preparation there, it's 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 not smart for your career. That's for sure. It's nice to be visiting with Mariners catcher Tom Murphy here on the hot stove. All right, Tom, let's um, let's focus on three categories. Let's go deadlift, <laughs> squats, and bench. You versus Alta Villa. Who's, who's going to take each category? Uh, he's probably got me in the squats and the bench. Definitely the bench for sure. I don't bench too much, but uh, I might have him in the deadlift. That's usually been my lift uh, historically, but... Danny's an absolute animal, so he might have me in all three, honestly. <laughs> it's funny because the deadlift is my lift as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, who knew we had so much in common, Tom? Uh, yeah, I, right. <laughs> I, I am really curious about your actual workout routine and your diet. I mean, I think everybody can tell if they're watching the game on television or if they come out to T-Mobile Park and watch it in person. I mean, everybody can tell that you're a put-together guy. Uh, but it's not until you might be like shoulder to shoulder with you, like we have the chance to be on a basically daily basis. When, I mean, it's obvious. I mean, you are as uh, put together as anybody in the big leagues. You obviously spend so much time and effort on this. I, I'm curious uh, what your diet is like, how rigorous that is, and just what your actual training schedule is like. Not so much uh, with the actual baseball side of things, but more on the fitness side. Yeah, um, yeah. I went to college at the University of Buffalo, and uh, the freshman class coming in was uh, all as obsessed with the weight room as I was. So we really kind of took that to heart. Uh, it kind of became our sanctuary of sorts. 
And, um, you know, that kind of trickled into pro ball as well as a couple of us got drafted. And, um, you know, we continued our efforts to try and become as physically good as we could, uh, at least increase the engine enough to where we felt like we were going to maximize our potential. Uh, so we <clears throat> kind of read everything we could possibly get our hands on. Um, you know, a lot of Eastern European techs, um, kind of infamous sports scientists from uh, Russia and those sort of areas, east of Bulgaria. Um, and then we just kind of made our own, made our own thing. Um, you know, my best friend and I still talk every day in the off season about training and where we want to go with it, and, uh, trying to improve upon it from last year. And uh, yeah, we, I mean, we we've done our research, that's for sure. And you know, we try to optimize, like I said, everything we can. Uh, and the same goes for diet. I mean, it's it's generally pretty simple with the diet. And it's just uh, just I mean, if it's good for me, I'm going to eat it. If it's not, I don't. Um, and that is pretty planned. It's pretty simple and pretty boring, but uh, it works. So during the course of the regular season, catching is obviously a very demanding position. How do you balance uh, your body getting beat up at the position and your fitness routine? Uh, what I've noticed is that they kind of go hand in hand. Uh, they're not opposing each other. So the more that I keep up on my fitness routine, the less that the game feels like it's wearing on me at all. Um, and really, at the end of the season, I feel almost as good as the start of the season. Obviously, you're a little banged up, but that's not because of lack of uh, physical preparation. That's usually stuff that's uh, foul balls, that sort of thing, and just bruises that haven't healed up or whatever. But, uh, yeah, I think when I stay on top of, is, uh, top of it, it's, it's when I feel my best. So, First of all, Bulgaria does not typically get a lot of love on this program. <laughs> so I think that needs to be, for the good people of Bulgaria, they appreciate the drop. Uh, I, I, I do, I do want to know, I know you mentioned a very simplistic approach to dieting, which I think a lot of people driving around right now are saying, that's not working for me. <laughs> but I need, I need to know, Tom, on a cheat day, okay, like you're going to give yourself a day, you're just going to go nuts, right? Nobody's watching. You can order anything you want. What's... What's the cheat day diet for Tom Murphy? Oh man, it's uh, it's like uh, ice cream, cookie dough, pizza, all the usuals. I there's no doubt I love it. It's uh, on those cheat days I definitely blow it out, and they don't have to be <laughs> when they do. It's it's pretty nasty. <laughs> now, now does that mean cookie dough ice cream, or are you buying like a roll of cookie dough? <laughs> well, yeah, no, both. Honestly. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, Tom, man, uh, we really enjoyed watching you play last year. We are excited for, as you mentioned earlier, an, an even uh, further expanded role for you with this ball club in 2020. Uh, you you are somebody that uh, the fans really enjoy watching play. Your peers speak very highly of you, and uh, it's been a real treat to be able to talk a little bit with you uh, here tonight, especially as your, uh, your working season has officially started. So we appreciate you hopping on the hot stove with us this evening. Of course. Thank you for having me, and uh, appreciate all the kind words. That's very nice of you. You got it, Tom. We'll see you shortly. There is uh, Mariners catcher Tom Murphy. I guess I I should have talked with him before the whole, like, let's gain 20 pounds this winter thing happened, right? A trip to Bulgaria for you <laughs> would have been great. <laughs> no, I, blame my, I blame my friends who have not nearly as in-depth Eastern European strength training knowledge as his friends. I, I love how humble... You know what he slipped in? Yeah, I don't bench very much. I've seen him work out. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Him not benching very much is like 
I can only bench a small automobile. I'm, right. com- I'm confident in saying this. And I see him when we're on the road and we have the facilities to work out at the hotel, and he'll mm-hmm. show up to the gym every yeah. morning. And I would say this, that the backpack, the military-sized backpack <laughs> that he's carrying around, Aaron could not lift off the floor. <laughs> I, feel, I feel confident in saying that. But, Blow, with your help by the All-Star break, I'm getting that chest high. It's happening? Yeah. Okay. You're going you're gonna to be right there for me. Well, hey, spring training uh, is uh, almost finally here. First game was, of course, on Saturday. That means opening day T-Mobile Park is right around the corner. And to celebrate, we're offering a can't-miss flash sale until Sunday at midnight. You can score $20 view-level tickets for opening day against the Rangers. Use the promo code OPENER at Mariners.com. When we come back, we're joined by Mariners hitting coach Tim Laker after this. All things Mariners, all off-season. The Hot Stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. Happy as always to have you with us for the Hot Stove Report. Aaron Goldsmith, Mike Flowers, and Gary Hill as our phone line to Peoria continues. We just talked with Tom Murphy, Mariners catcher, and now talking things over with Mariners hitting coach Tim Laker. Tim, how are you? Thank you so much for joining us on the Hot Stove tonight. Uh, I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, uh, you know, things are really starting to heat up, obviously, uh, there in Peoria. I'm curious, what is the off season like for a big league hitting coach? Uh, it's kind of boring, to be honest with you. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, a lot, a lot of couch time, a lot of uh, binge-watching TV uh, on Netflix with my wife, uh, <laughs> playing with my dog, occasionally getting out to do some golfing. Uh, that's about it. You know, it's sit home all day and, you know, unfortunately, um, you know, most of my friends have jobs and so on. No one's available to do anything in a day. So, you know, it's a little boring. Well, I, I think we are curious. I mean, what what Netflix shows did we plow through this winter? Anything that really that you would really recommend? I'll be honest with you, me, I, I'm a big fan of the show Survivor. Um, and so I kind of turned my wife onto it and I've watched most of them, but my wife kind of, I just turned her on to it. She really liked it. So if you go on Amazon prime video, they have every season of survivor uh, from the last 20 years on there. And we've probably watched 20 of them this off season. So what? <laughs> yeah. Is this something you want to do? Like yeah. Would you do survivor? I go to when I was younger, I don't think I'm up for it anymore. So well, yeah, I don't know, think I could. I, I don't think I could take it. Well, Tim, the next question that is logical to ask here is of everyone on the team, and you can include coaches in this if you like. Who would most likely win Survivor? Wow, that, that's a tough question because you know what? It's not so much about like being able to survive, like with a you know small rations of food. You actually have to like get along with people too. So I mean, you have to have a combination of some you know some toughness a little bit of athleticism to win some challenges but then you gotta you gotta be a people person too you know if you're you're kind of a, a schmuck on the show you're one of the first ones to go all right so, so. blows out he's gonna have to get past <laughs> the first week yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right so well all right i'll give you a i put you on the spot there i'll, I'll let you think it over but at some point tim we're gonna you need that you need to figure out who's winning survivor in the mariners pool okay we're very curious okay about this. okay you say yourself too. I mean, that's fine. No, no, no. You, you know what? Uh, the first person that comes to mind is Nola. Oh yeah. I I don't know why. I just you know because he's you know I don't know. He just seems like he's uh 
easygoing. I don't think he'd ruffle any feathers. He gets along with everybody. Super nice guy. So I think I, I think he'd be my pick. I like that's a great call. That's a great call. That is a great call. And I we agree. trust your judgment yeah. given the fact you've devoted about 10,000 <laughs> hours expert. watching the show <laughs> the last three months. There you go. Well, how is this spring different than last spring for you? You know what? Uh, God, it's just uh, it's a youth fest. You know, we just got a lot of really young guys here, uh, lots of talent. Um, but, you know, there's there's really only – I mean, we don't have any – any veterans, you know, or, or very few, you know, I mean, you kind of Kyle Seeger, you know, he's, you know, he's probably the oldest one we got here. You know, last year we had guys like Encarnacion and Jay Bruce, some, some older guys with, you know, a lot of experience. And, uh, you know, this year it's, it's pretty, it's a, it's a really young group. So I'd say that was kind of like the biggest thing so far that just kind of just jumps out at you. One of the things that I, I thought about when I was driving into the uh, station here today, Tim, was Evan White. I mean, you talk about this young man in the minor leagues. Um, obviously, he ended up getting his contract this winter. Uh, when you talk to him and your conversations with him, and I assume that you haven't had a chance to see a lot of them other than spring training last year, um, what will that be about, and how do you take some of the pressure off of that young man? Uh, you know, I think he's a pretty level-headed guy. Um, he's, you know, he, he, when you look at like just his, his batted ball profile – this kid hits the hard. It hits the ball really hard, um, as hard as anybody, and it's and it's consistent. So it's, you know, it's just trying to like, you know, not let him get overwhelmed, try and do too much, um, and just kind of just go out there and, and relax, be comfortable, and be yourself. When you talk about the young guys in general, not just Evan, but all these young guys that you're going to deal with, and you basically are getting a crash course at the major league level, what is I guess the number one thing on your plate when you're dealing with the young guys. Yeah, you know, like I said, just kind of for, for me, like a lot of these guys, I haven't had a chance to to be around them much, and it's just you know kind of building a building a relationship, um, you know, building trust with these guys, uh, finding out what they do good, kind of what makes them tick, and and just go off of that. So early on for me, it's it's just more of just sitting back and kind of. Like I said, just watching, finding out what they do good, kind of digging into the numbers a little bit. You know, we've been doing that, kind of just what stands out. What do these guys do really good, and where are those little those little areas uh, where we can find a little bit more? Tim Laker is our guest, Mariners hitting coach. Tim, speaking in kind of generalities here, because not everybody's the same, but generally speaking, where is the biggest off-season of growth? Is it from – your first to your second year in the big leagues, your second to your third year, where is it you see that guys typically make the biggest leap of progression as a hitter? You know, I, I, th- I think it would probably, for me, I would, I would think it'd be kind of after that, that first year. You know, I think that first year at times can be a little bit overwhelming. You're not really sure um, what to expect. You, you get up there and you, you really see how good big league ball players are. You kind of see, uh, you know, the work that, that the really good ones put in, the dedication. Um, and so I think the first year, like, you you know, it, it's a, there's a lot of learning. Um, and I think once you kind of see that, you get your feet wet, you get comfortable. Um, I, I think the second year is the, the year for growth for me. So speaking of growth, we saw a lot of growth from Tom Murphy last year. We just had a chance to catch up with Tom, and he talked about kind of the biggest advancements he made and mentioned you here's what he had to say about you and how much you helped him it was a lot of things it was uh you know an opportunity to fail 
Uh, it was an opportunity to go out and learn you know, how to hit in the big leagues, how to deal with all the different pressure and all the different uh, atmospheres and that sort of thing. Uh, and then he goes to the coaching as well. I came over here and immediately hit it off with Tim Laker and Jared Hart. And, and those guys really drove me to be a better hitter overall, for sure, um, on both sides, you know, the physical side and the, the mental approach side, uh, having a game plan side. I mean, those guys are, are lights out. They're as good as it gets. And uh, you know, I'm definitely thankful for all the time and effort they spent with me last year, for sure. So when you hear that and you saw what kind of year that Tom Murphy had, I mean, how satisfying is that to hear? You know, yeah, it, it's it's kind of what you shoot for as a coach. You know, as a coach, just getting into it, um, I just look back when I was a player, and there was there was a few coaches that I felt like just kind of really helped me along the way, you know, that you, you know, I kind of look, look back and almost look at him as like a, a father figure um, in a sense and really felt like I wouldn't have ever gotten to where I got to without their help. And, and as a coach, you, you just kind of want to pay that back, you know, and, and there's nothing more rewarding than seeing a guy that, you know, like that um, just have success and, and kind of just turn into the player that they always thought they could be. So you know, to, to give him a lot of credit, he is probably the hardest working guy we have. So it's it's no shortage of hard work on his part. You know, we were, myself and uh, Jerry were, you know, just a small part of that. So a lot of credit to him, too, for just the work he put in. Now, Tim, uh, even though we might not see either of these guys in the big leagues this year, especially one of them, uh, there's certainly plenty of buzz, not only in Seattle and the Northwest, but throughout the entire uh, baseball community about Julio Rodriguez and Jared Kelnick. Uh, we knew the type of talent that they had going into last year. They did nothing but really make people look like they're even better than what they were thought to be. I'm curious whether it be the time that they were in some uh, Cactus League games last year or any early time this year. What has your experience been like working with either one of those young men? You know what the, the the thing that jumps out at me is is both of them, um, the two of them, just exude confidence. I mean, these guys really they're they're not intimidated um, being up here, and and I don't mean that in a bad way. It's not like they're you know really cocky and rubbing people on. They 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 just feel like they belong. You know, they don't feel like they're that far away, um, and they don't feel like overwhelmed by the situation. And, and for two guys as young as that, that's like really impressive to me. I mean that that's that's not something that you can put on them, right? They come, they just a player just comes wired that way. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I mean, I'm sure that's probably how Ken Griffey was his first uh, big league spring training. You know, that's. I mean, I just feel like those guys, like it's not. You know, a lot of young guys are like hoping they get to the big leagues. These these two guys, like they know they're getting to the big leagues, and it's just like for them, like when when's it going to happen? You know, and and they know that they. You know, they're going to get there, and they know that when they get there, they belong, you know. How valuable is spring for you when you get to take a look at a lot of young guys who probably won't end up making the roster, but you get a chance to see them in person? Yeah, yeah it, it's it's great. I mean, I, I love seeing, like, the, the, the young talent. Like, like I said, you know, we're young, but, like, that locker room's filled with talent, you know, from, from the guys – you know, on offense and some of the arms, you know, we've seen in spring training just in bullpens. We started from live VPs today. Um, there, there's, there's a lot of really young guys to, to get excited about. 
A couple of final thoughts here with hitting coach Tim Laker. Tim, I am curious. You you mentioned uh, early on in our conversation something that uh, I think most Mariners fans know, right? Young players are on a ton of veterans on uh, the hitting side of things. Mitch Hanniger would be one of those guys. Uh, But I'm curious, when you have a clubhouse that is as young as the Mariners will be, how does that change what you have to do as a coach in terms of uh, teaching not so much the here's what you do when you see a curveball, which you have to do that no matter what, but just in terms of a routine, a day-to-day, kind of the arm around the shoulder, is that something that as a coach you pick up some of that slack, or does that have to come from in the clubhouse? No, I mean, I, I think there's, you know, there's there's some guys, you know, we have a few guys that have, like, incredible work habits. You know, you look at, um, you know, a guy – just a couple guys in particular, like uh, Aaron, you know Austin Nola and and Tom Murphy, like these guys, they they do it right, you know, um, you know that you look to guys like that to kind of pick up some of that slack. Kyle Seager, another guy, works really hard, um, real professional, um, and you know you there's enough of them around, I think, to see to see like what those guys are doing, um, you know, and kind of kind of get a base. Um, of that foundation, you know, of what their, what their work habits should look like, um, you know, and, and then, yeah, there's going to be a, you know, a little nudge here and there from, from the coaching staff to, you know, point and point them in the right direction. Um, but I, I think, you know, that we really do a good job of that in the minor league system, kind of just talking about just being prepared and putting in the work. Um, and so a lot of these guys already come with that already in their whole, in their, in their package. Well, Tim, we appreciate you carving out some time for us, um, and we are looking forward to seeing you in person not too long from now down in Peoria. Thank you so much. All right. We'll see you guys soon. That's Mariners hitting coach Tim Laker, kind enough to join us tonight on the Hot Stove Show. Well, hey, baseball returns to beautiful T-Mobile Park. Opening day, Thursday, March 26th. Mariners make the 2020 debut against the Texas Rangers. We hope you can be on hand. Team introductions, fireworks, Good times, as always, to welcome back baseball to Seattle. Great seats remain by going to Mariners.com. Well, the first hour of the hot stove is off and running. When we come back, we'll be joined by Andrew Simon, who is a researcher and writer for MLB.com. He has a, a pretty serious focus on StatCast. We'll be uh, talking some defensive metrics, among other things, with Andrew Simon right after this. Back to more of the Hot Stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. Welcome back inside the Hot Stove, Aaron Goldsmith and Gary Hill. As we welcome to the program, a new guest. Happy to have him, Andrew Simon. You probably have read his work on MLB.com. You've probably seen him on Twitter. He is a researcher and writer for MLB.com with, let's just say, a bend towards the StatCast side of things. Andrew, thanks for uh, taking the time to join us tonight on the Hot Stove. Of course. Thanks for having me. Hey, uh, first of all, for those who maybe aren't as familiar with your work or the just in- incredible resource that uh, BaseballSavant.com has turned into, it's the essentially the official StatCast database that is uh, publicly available uh, via MLB.com. Uh, can you just kind of tell us a little bit about uh, – what you and the team that you work with, the, the type of publications that you guys put out, what you're looking into on a daily basis, and uh, what it is that the type of content that you're churning, because it's 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 pretty fantastic. It's a wonderful resource. Oh well, thanks for saying that. Um, 
Yeah, so uh, as many people probably know, we've had um, the StackHouse technology in every ballpark going back to 2015, tracking, you know, everything that goes onto the field. Um, you know, if you're watching games on TV, you're seeing, you know, the pitch velocities, the exit velocities off the bat, the speeds of the runner, um, and all of those types of things. So uh, what we're doing is taking a lot of the data that uh, comes in and, uh, you know, looking at um, Baseball Savant, where a lot of that data goes and is uh, presented wonderfully by Darren Willman. And uh, we're analyzing that and, and trying to, you know, look under the surface a little bit to trends that are happening, um, you know, players that are maybe, uh, you know, over or underperforming, just trying to glean some, some insights from this new data we have that's maybe um, a little more telling than just the surface level results. So something that was just unveiled, outs above average, a, a defensive metric, Give us just kind of a general sense of what outs above average means. Yeah, so outs above average is uh, the StatCast defensive metric. Um, if anyone is familiar with things like defensive runs saved or ultimate zone rating, those are other um, advanced defensive metrics that have been around for a while. So outs above average is kind of uh, the StatCast version of those, but um, it, it, go, it goes a little bit deeper because, um, you know, it's using um, the great uh, trove of data that we have from StatCast. So um, the outfield version of outs above, uh, outs above Average has been around for a few years now, and that's basically a metric that's measuring the range of the outfielders in terms of how many plays they're making or not making and giving them credit um, for – how far they had to go to catch a fly ball, how much time they had to get there, um, as well as some other factors. So we've been tracking that since 2016. And then just this offseason, we introduced um, an infield version of outs above average. And uh, what, that, what that's doing is basically breaking down every play and saying, okay, how, mu how far did the fielder responsible for the play have to go to get to the ball? How much time did he have to go to get there? And then factoring in also the speed of the base runner to say, okay, how often would an average fielder make that play? And then using that to judge um, that fielder's performance. How close do you think are we at this point in, I guess, confidence level comparing offensive numbers to defensive numbers? When we look at somebody's defensive numbers, how confident are we at this point? Um, well, I think there's still a long ways to go when it comes to defensive numbers. Um, you know, I think while I wouldn't say we know everything there is to know about measuring offense, um, I think we can be pretty confident, uh, you know, that when we look at offensive numbers, um, we're measuring those pretty accurately. Um, it's just a much, much bigger challenge when it comes to defense, because, you know, there are so many variables um, in the works on, on any given play, um, just having to decide, you know, which, which fielders are responsible and all the factors that go into deciding um, how great a chance they have to make the play. So, um, 
you know, Stackhouse has been around since 2015, and some of these metrics we're talking about are even more recent than that. So this is still sort of in its infancy of trying to figure out how to use that data to um, make the best judgments possible. And I think we're making some great strides with that. Um, but it's a continual learning process, and I'm pretty excited to see what all the smart people we have working on this stuff uh, keep coming up with. Andrew Simon is our guest. He's a researcher and writer for MLB.com with a pretty serious focus on StatCast data. Andrew, I'm curious to get your thoughts on a quote that I read just the other day from a former MVP, Josh Donaldson, now with the Twins. I I thought this was absolutely dynamite, and I put it in my hip pocket. He was asked how he knows when he's getting locked in for the season, right? Because we... We've historically asked, well, how many at-bats do you need in spring training to get ready for opening day, to get ready for the regular season? And Donaldson, who's a pretty uh, advanced guy when it comes to talking about hitting, he said that he looks at three things. He looks at his chase percentage, his barrel rate, and what his exit velocity is. And that when those things are all check, 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 even if, right, even if he's one for 50 – he knows that he's in the right lane. And when I read that, you know, it's it's one thing for us as observers of the game in your position or in our position to be looking at that type of data as a way to kind of explain it to our eyes. But it's a whole other thing, right, when a premier player in the game is adopting this type of data and technology and making it a major focal point in their preparation and how they judge themselves I mean, that must make you and the people who you work alongside with at MLB.com and who are putting the information into StatCast, I mean, this must completely validate everything that you guys write and research on a daily basis. Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, um, like you said, uh, you know, we um, take a lot of pride in the analysis that we're able to do, but, um, you know, it's also we recognize that it's not the same as, you know, the players who are out there playing the game. Um, and when somebody with, you know, the stature of a Josh Donaldson or, or a J.D. Martinez, guys like that have, um, you know, buy into some of these concepts, um, that's, that's obviously huge. And those guys are, you know, preaching that um, in the clubhouse, talking to other players. I believe I was reading something the other day. Um, about Josh Donaldson talking to a group of, you know, twins prospects, um, you know, getting that uh, next generation sort of uh, indoctrinated. And, and Donaldson's been one of the guys, I think, from sort of the very beginning um, of kind of this revolution who's who's been on the cutting edge um, in terms of working with his swing and things like that. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think more and more we're seeing players um, – see the results that uh, being able to understand these concepts can have, and uh, that just you know keeps pushing it forward. For those not as familiar with baseball savant, blue dots means poor, black dots mean average, red dots mean great. The biggest move of the offseason, Mookie Betts going to the Dodgers. What are your thoughts on Bellinger and Betts playing on the same team? Well, I mean, uh, it's pretty good for the Dodgers, I would say. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, those are two of just, you know, the most uh, talented players in the game, talented and, and most productive. Um, you know, and you're mentioning uh, what you were just mentioning with, with Baseball Savant. Um, you know, we have all of the player pages on, on Baseball Savant have, you know, these these bars that are basically, um, you know, measuring a, a player's tools, um, you know, things like uh, their running speed, how hard they hit the ball, uh, things like that. And both of those guys you mentioned, uh, Bellinger and Betts, are basically about as good as you can get on all of those things. So um, they're both really rare, special talents. And now to have both of them in the same outfield uh, is pretty astonishing. Well, I can tell you, Andrew, that uh, baseball savant, I mean, Gary, I know you'll agree with this, it's changed the way that we prepare for a broadcast, mm-hmm. right? I mean, like fan graphs and uh, baseball reference play index are fantastic, and they serve a great role uh, for people who research the game on a regular basis, but the tools that Baseball Savant has, and I, maybe maybe I'm just getting more used to it over time, or maybe it actually has become even more user-friendly, but I, I feel like it's it's easier than ever to navigate your way through some of those search engines and uh, and uh, pages on Baseball Savant. It's, it's a phenomenal resource. And, uh, Andrew, we appreciate all, all your efforts in helping to bring some of those numbers to life for everybody on MLB.com, and we really appreciate you joining us here tonight on the Hot Stove. Yeah, it was great speaking with you. There is Andrew Simon, who joins us from MLB.com, researcher and writer, who uh, does a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot with StatCast data, and we're glad that he does. Well, hey, uh, single-game tickets are on sale now, which means you can purchase seats of some of the biggest games of the 2020 season, including opening day, series against the Yankees, the Phillies, and the World Series champion Nationals will be coming to town as well, plus more fireworks shows than ever before. You can swing by Mariners.com to pick up your tickets. Well, that is uh, about it for the first hour here at the Hot Stove. Tom Murphy, Tim Laker, Andrew Simon, you just heard from all joining us in hour number one. Hard to believe, but position players reported yesterday to Peoria. First game is on Saturday, opening day against the Rangers at T-Mobile Park on March 26th. Am I the only one that checks the baseball savant game feed every day, just uh, out of habit? Yes. <laughs> That is very sorry you have nothing else going on. You have children. You know you know you have children, Gary. What? Yeah, exactly. The game feed is great though. <laughs> it's great. If you're into exit velocity, <laughs> I would check that out if you're like Gary. Uh hey, second hour is right around the corner. Shannon Dreyer will join us from Arizona. Also be joined by Joe Doyle, who is a contributor to Baseball America and Lookout Landing as well. We'll hear from Art Warren. All that straight ahead in the second hour. After this timeout. This is the Hot Stove Report. Going, going, goodbye baseball. On 710 ESPN Seattle. 710sports.com and the 710 Seattle app. Yes, it is the Hot Stove, the final one of the year. Aaron Goldsmith, Gary Hill, Mike Flowers, Denver Joe Wilder running things for us tonight, as usual. And uh, hour number two is about to get underway. We'll hear from Shanna Dreyer. Joe Doyle, a contributing writer for Baseball America, and look how landing will also hear from Art Warren, Mariners reliever. Uh, Blower Power, I know uh, even in that cave of yours, you've been uh, able to keep up with what's going on with uh, the mighty, mighty Astros, and yep. this is the first time you and I have talked about it. I'm curious, as uh, an observer of the game, uh, somebody who once wore the uniform, first of all, just kind of your 
your general impressions as to uh, what you make of this and obviously how disappointing it is. You and I had many conversations both on the air and off the air about this recent run of, call it three years for the Astros, and how I mean, you're, you're talking about a, a generational team, right? And mm. had they won a World Series this year, you could have kind of started to throw the word dynasty around and it wouldn't have been out of place. No, you're right. So with that in mind, the crimes that have committed and, and your, your your thoughts about the whole thing. Well, I, I think that it, to me it's just a, a real sad thing for the game overall because I still look at that Houston ball club, the one that we've seen for the last three years, and understand just how talented that team is. And, you know, to go to the lengths that they did to gain um, an unfair advantage is what it is. It's cheating. It's an unfair advantage. Um, I You know, I'm still trying to figure out why – that even happened with a club like that. And the Mariners know as well, and you sat right there doing the games with me in that ballpark. And, I mean, it just seemed unreal to watch them at times. And for even myself, you wonder sometimes, and, you know, stealing signs has been a part of the game forever, but to go to those lengths, but to also understand just how talented those guys are, and now they're not going to be appreciated for that, nor should they be, mm-hmm, right? Um, in my mind. So uh, there's been a lot to unpack as far as it. Now you're listening to the other players that are coming out and being, um, you know, really tough on them, and I think it should be that way. And I think that when you start talking about the stars of the game um, that are coming out and have their strong feelings about it, I'm not surprised at all. I, if I was on the other side of that, I certainly would have felt that way too. Yeah, because it's happening, you know, a, a team like the Dodgers, and you see players upset, obviously, who played against the Astros for the World Series. And on the other end, you see – you know, guys that didn't spend a lot of time in the majors, they get beat up by the Astros, they get sent down, last we hear from them, and they're left, you know, wondering what could have been, how much did that play into what happened? I mean, it's, I, I can see the, why there's so much anger. I think there's that, Gary, and I also think that the whole situation, um, unfortunately, on Houston's side of things has been handled poorly, and I don't yeah. think that has helped it either, and I think that's the reason why we'll continue to talk about it. If we uh, were to approach the stand for um, Judge Blowers, mm-hmm. which is worse, it's taking steroids, which is, obviously baseball's done a, a fine job cleaning as much of that as possible out of the game, taking steroids or uh, having the signs and knowing what pitch is coming? I I think that stealing signs the way that it was done um, is much worse. I think because of what Gary was just talking about, there's a competitive balance that's supposed to be out there when you talk about the best players on the planet, and that is taking away from them. Um, and m- look, make no mistake about it, these hitters that we're talking about at the major league level, they're the best on the planet. And then when you start talking about the level of hitters that you have in that Houston lineup and they know what pitches are coming their way or at least be able to eliminate, that's a huge advantage. I, I can't even begin to tell you what an advantage that is. Um so I think for me that it's that's that's worse. Um, you know, there's a level of talent at the major league level, and that is obviously enhanced. I um, mean, we know that now by PEDs and mm-hmm. steroids and all those different things that are going on. But this is something to me that is um, a completely different thing. And um, now, you know, you're going to see the changes that are going to come across the board as they should, because we always talk about the unwritten rules. Well, they're going to be written rules now, yeah. and they have to be. Um, so that's the only positive thing that I can see out of any of this. And unfortunately, um, for that Houston ball club, it's something that they're going to have to deal with. 
Um, especially the guys that weren't a part of it. They're still there now. You know what I mean? The guys that For weren't even sure, on that man. team in 17, they're new to the club now. They're still having to deal with it. So, And it's not going to go away. You know, A.J. Hinch was, their manager was. Former teammate of mine. Yeah. Was like, he was on top of the world. He was on top of the baseball world, right? I mean, he was yeah. seen probably by most as the guy, the manager yeah. in baseball. Mm-hmm. Now, he had probably the most talented team, but he was a big part of making that engine run, the good things that it did. Uh, now he is without a job. Who knows how much he will work in Major League Baseball going forward. He's obviously suspended for one year. He did a, a, a pretty heartfelt, in-depth interview with Tom Verducci of MLB Network. It was a, a little under half an hour long, and he, there was a quote that, that he had that I, I hope I don't soon forget. He said something along the lines of, you know, being a leader, a lot of it is what you say, what you stand for. But he said what he has learned is that a lot of it is how much and of what you tolerate. And he was referring to, obviously, he took a bat to the TV monitor outside of their dugout. A couple of times from what I understand. Twice. Mm -hmm. That was his message to say, knock it off. And that's as far as he went. And he tolerated, as he says, in retrospect, too much. Say the other thing of, of, that he talked about in that interview with Verducci, it just broke my heart. I mean, all three of us are fathers. Uh, many parents are listening to this. He said that when he found out that he had been suspended and subsequently fired by Jim Crane, the Astros owner, it came. It sounded like a little before lunchtime in Houston, and he drove to his daughter's school. He had two daughters who were certainly old enough to kind of get the world right. and have cell phones. And he pulled his girls out of school because he didn't want them in school when this news hit that A.J. Hinch had been suspended and fired. And, man, that's – there's a, obviously a lot of guys that have not been uh, punished or reprimanded, the players, that is. But, man, for A.J. Hinch, the, the suspension, uh, who knows how he'll work again. But then what that does to a family dynamic, right, as a husband and as a dad, I know he has a lot of regrets, but that would – that's tough, man. That is really hard. That's life stuff that we fortunately don't have to deal with and hopefully never will. And, and unfortunately, because of the position he was in, everybody looks towards him first mm-hmm. and foremost in all of this. And I can tell you, and I've thought about this a lot, if I had been on a team and that was going on, even if I didn't want to know what the signs because players are different. Some of them don't want to know. They feel like that they, their swing gets too big and right. they, they just don't like it. But what would you do about it? Mm-hmm. And as a player, it's, I think, easier to – just kind of turn away from it and not pay attention to it. Um, but I think when you're in a position that AJ was, it's, that's, you, can't, you can't. That's your job, man. You have to you have to do something about it, and you can't just ignore it, um, even if it's painful and um, there's ramifications for that throughout your clubhouse. You have to deal with that too. So it's unfortunate. Like I said, AJ and I were teammates when we were in Oakland together. I've watched his career go along. He's one of our favorites to talk to. Absolutely. Yeah, and it's just an unfortunate situation across the board. But I don't know that there was any other out um, other than what the the circumstances were and and what happened. Yeah. Now, it's good to talk to you about it finally. Hey, when we come back here in the second hour of the hot stove, we'll take you back down to Peoria. We check in with our very own Shannon Dreyer, who's down in spring training. All that straight ahead. All things Mariners, all off-season. The Hot Stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. Yes, it is the Hot Stove. Aaron Goldsmith, Gary Hill, and a little Blower Power on the program here tonight. We 
continue to go back to Peoria. And why wouldn't we? We say hello to our very own Shannon Dreyer. Shannon, how tan are you? <laughs> uh, we're a tanner than you, Eric. <laughs> hey, uh, I know, Shannon, you've been down there since January 2nd um, in Peoria. Uh, uh, first of all, we, we've got we got a lot of things to talk to you about, uh, but I am curious. I mean, you have... Um, you have hit the ground running, Shannon. You are you're working your tail off. Uh, tell us kind of uh, some of the uh, the early impressions that you've had uh, already before we've even seen Cactus League play begin. You know, it, it's been a lot of fun for me because right now, uh, and I hope the Mariners fans can embrace this too. But finally, seeing everything we've been reading and hearing about, and seeing it in person. And we know what this year is about, and it's about seeing the young players play, but we're getting a sneak preview right now. So, you know, getting to see, and we haven't gotten to see the games yet, but Evan White's going to play every day while we're getting to know him in the clubhouse. We're seeing him go about his work. We're seeing him do fielding drills and and hitting, and and we're seeing that every day. Jared Kelnick and Julio Rodriguez have lockers right next to each other in the big league clubhouse right now. Let the imagination take that where it is. Logan Gilbert um, is just... uh, he was doing some weighted ball warm-ups. Uh, I think it was this morning. I've lost all track of days right now that were just terrifying. I mean, just the power that he, that he was displaying in that. And these are all things that we've heard about. And then go ahead and add to that, if there's not enough at the big league camp level, the minor leaguers, they don't start for a while, but they have a mini camp going on. And come around a corner, and there's first-round pick George Kirby throwing a bullpen. And it was just fun to watch him go to work. And he's got the great command, but they were working with him to make sure he wasn't throwing anything that was too hittable in the strike zone. And I want to see Brandon Williamson. We're seeing all the relievers at double A that struck out everybody and didn't walk anybody. And that we are going to see at the big league at some point, some of them that have just crazy deliveries, Joey Gerber with arms and legs going everywhere. Jack Anderson, you know, scraping the knuckles on the ground, Wyatt Mills, another side armor too. So it's just been a lot of fun to actually see and have them in front of you. And it's a very, very young group. The veteran corner is is down at the very end where Robbie used to have his locker. And it's basically Kyle Seeger, Mitch Hanniger, who's arriving tomorrow, and Daniel Vogelback. And that's it. It's just very different. And you're feeling kind of that youthful energy. And it's not a bunch of guys trying to get to know each other like they were a year ago and the year before that. These guys have all played together. They've all come up together. They've all been through it together. And it's just been totally different, and for me, it's been very, very interesting and fun to watch. What's it been like with with Scott Service, Shannon? Um, in this, I'm looking forward to getting down there and talking to Scott on Friday. But this is really going to be a different spring training when you talk about the process that they've kind of gone through. And Jerry, and we even talked to him back in December. But what's it been like for Scott so far? Well, this is right in his wheelhouse. He's always been all about player development, so he's very excited about it, but it's also a lot of work. Not only do you have a lot of players and new players right now, you have a lot of new coaches, too, that bring different things from the table, and he wants to incorporate everything, but get everybody on the same page in their process and what that is. And then with young players, it's a different responsibility. I think in most springs, you look at the players, and uh, I don't know how many times I've said, oh, they're just going about the business of getting ready for the season. They've done this so many times before. I think there is uh, more emphasis on learning this spring. And and I think we will see drills go longer than what we've seen before. And, you know, they need to get as much out of this as they can, particularly with the players who aren't going to break with them. So uh, I think uh, while he's very, very excited about finally having this group here, there's a lot of extra responsibility that comes with that. He wants to make sure he gets that right. It's funny. Mike mentioned it earlier. There's not that many 
jobs to be won, especially when you're talking position players. I guess the exception to that is when you look at the bullpen, I think there's probably 20 different guys that you could say if they made the final cut, the the final regular season roster, you wouldn't be surprised. What's your early take on just the number of guys competing for a bullpen spot this year? There are a lot of them, and this is where, uh, just even coming into it, I knew that this would be different because we had seen so many different relievers come through in the last four years, and now they're their own. Most of them are homegrown, and so there is some recognizability with them. Uh, with that said, and one of the things that's really struck me through the off season because I've been very excited about the Sam Delaplanes, about the Jack Anderson, the Wyatt Bells, the Joey Gerbers, I'm not sure... Uh, it almost seems to me the preference is to get them a little bit more seasoning before bringing them up to the big leagues. I don't know that they start uh, the season with the big club. They, I'm sure somebody could force an issue here or there. Um, but there are some guys that the options will be a factor and some guys that they have to carry, at least at the beginning, if they want to take you know, one last look at. So I think that options will play heavily into it, as, as it usually does. But when the young guys are ready, they will be up because they want to get them as much experience as they possibly can this year. I think one person to watch very closely is going to be the Rule 5 pick, uh, Johan Rodriguez. And he is somebody that you know, came out of the Astros organization as a starter. And the word on him is he just has electric, electric stuff, hasn't been able to command it, but he's been a starter in the past. And, you know, the hope is, is that, they can harness that a little bit as a reliever and live with that and, and, and hopefully keep him because the stuff really, they like what they see. I need to see more of it, but there's I've heard from multiple, multiple people, there's excitement about that, and this is a year where you can bring that along. So I think he might be kind of one of the surprise guys, one of the guys to watch that um, you, know, you didn't see coming because we really know little about him, um, but somebody that you start to hear a little bit of a buzz around. Going to be talking with Shannon Dreyer here on the hot stove. And, uh, Shannon, I know even though you haven't been down there all that long, you've had a chance to sit down with a, a little under 10 different players for a video series of interviews you'll be doing, which will be on uh, 710's website. Can you tell us uh, some of the earliest takeaways, some things that have uh, maybe stood out to you the most with any of those conversations that you've had? I've really enjoyed it, and they're just conversations. I mean, people need to get to know these guys, both new and old. And so I figured, well, you know, let's sit down and video interviews with all of them and just have talks. And I go in with a little bit of direction where I want to go and then just have talks and see what comes out. And, you know, day one, and a lot of them are really early in the morning. And this morning, uh, I, I was uh, saying, hey, do you want Evan White tomorrow? Evan White would be great. How does 7 o'clock sound? Early. And apparently they tried to talk him into 7.30, but he's at the complex at 6.30, thought 7 would be good. We do him outside. It's not even light yet at 7 o'clock down here, but we're going to make that work. Come out at 6.45. He's already out there ready or ready to do the interview. And that's Evan White for you. But it was a good talk with him, and he talked about home, and he talked about um, his mother. If you don't know, she has been, after everything that he's been through in the last year and, and signing the contract, he also got married. His mother has been battling cancer and she's doing well, has one more treatment, but talked about that and the impact that that's had on him. Taiwan talked quite a bit about uh, how he's changed over the last three years. When, you know, Taiwan's always kind of been the baby of the rotation. You no know more, even though he's just 27. He's one of the veterans right now. And since he left, he's gotten married. He's had a child. He's taking in a 
uh, a, a relative of his wife's, and now it's going to be the dad of a 13-year-old as well. It's very, very different for Taiwan. And one of the conversations that I really enjoyed was Cal Raleigh and getting to know him a little bit more. And one of the things that, uh, you know, didn't know about him was he is the son of a baseball coach. He wants to manage someday. I mean, he's just got catcher written all over him right to the point where he wants to manage. And in the off season, he went back to Florida State and he's finishing up his degree. Didn't do it online, actually went back to school. He's got a couple more credits to go, but it's important to him to get that degree. You talk about catchers and everything that they juggle. He's juggling his education with it, too, and doing quite well. So just neat conversations. I do them at different parts around, at different day parts and different spots in the complex. And we'll start running one of them a day on the website starting on Monday. Well, that's a, a fantastic idea, and I know we'll all be very grateful that you've spent that much time doing that. And I, I mean, I, I hope people understand what it means for a player to be standing ready. First of all, <laughs> like for the player to be ready <laughs> for the interview before, like we're ready to do the interview. Like regardless of the time of day, that I'm confident that that that's never happened before. Like maybe Mike was ready that for, early in the morning. Yeah, and then to have well, it, it was even better because. I wasn't even set up yet, so I'm like, Evan, grab a chair. Let's bring it over here. So he helped set it up, too. Yeah, no, that's very impressive. And we've heard a lot of good things about Evan White throughout the years, and you can add that one to the list. Well, uh, Shannon, hey, we are, uh, we're thankful for your time on the phone tonight, and uh, we'll be eager to see all these guys in person, and we'll be seeing you shortly as well in Peoria. Thanks so much. Looking forward to seeing you guys. There is our very own Shannon Dreher, hard at work, to say the least. Uh, a lot of good stuff Shannon's doing. Uh, you can both read and watch, obviously, as well. And we've got plenty more to get to here in the second hour of the Hot Stove. When we come back, we'll be joined by Joe Doyle, who is a contributing writer for Baseball America. Also, Lookout Landing. We've got plenty of good stuff to talk about with Joe. Straight ahead. Back to more of the Hot Stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. Welcome to Back to the Hot Stove Show. Aaron Goldsmith and Gary Hill, glad to have you with us for the second hour. Just had a chance to talk things over with Shannon Dreyer, and now we are joined by Joe Doyle, who is a contributing writer for Baseball America, Lookout Landing, and number of other publications. Joe, first of all, how are you? Thank you so much for joining us tonight. I'm good. How are we doing, fellas? Doing very well. We're eager to talk some uh, some Mariners baseball with you. We uh, enjoyed the piece that you uh, recently wrote about J.P. Crawford, and if uh, folks haven't read this, it's on Lookout Landing. And uh, really, you know, it's one thing to say, like, hey, man, I think this, uh, Gary, I think this young player is going to have a good year because I just, I just feel it in my bones. Uh, but you, you look a little bit deeper, and you give some uh, – pretty good uh, sound reason and logic as to why you are expecting some uh, pretty great things for the Mariners shortstop. We're curious if you could uh, explain some of that to, to us and to our listeners as well. Yeah, sure. So uh, starting with starting with some of the, the things that I think a lot of people take for granted about Crawford, and that's the fact, you know, he's only got about 600 um, major league plate appearances. He's been a part of three different major league seasons. Um, but he really is just getting his feet wet. So um, for that, you know, I think he, he still deserves a little bit of time. But on the production and performance side, I think that's where things really stand out. Um, when he came up from Tacoma last season, from from that May 8th, May 9th point, when he made his debut last year till the end of June, 
um, he, he was one of the top five, top six best offensive shortstops in all of baseball. He ran a, a weighted rain, uh, runs created plus of, of 136, which basically means he was 36% better than your average player during that two-month span. And while 36% better than your average player may not sound like a lot on a spectrum, uh, for reference, Mookie Betts ran a 135 weighted runs created plus for all of last season. So it's a huge deal. And, um, uh, you know, the other argument in all this is going to be, well, J.P. Crawford doesn't hit the ball very hard. Um, he's not built to, to be a slugger. And what I'd say to those skeptics is uh, during that two-month span, on July 1st, he was running a uh, an expected weighted on-base average of 352, which takes into account exit velocity and launch angle and some different things like that. And uh, a 352 uh, ex-WOBA, if you will, suggests a really, really strong performance. Um, he would have been one of the top 25 players in the league at that time. So there's a lot of things that point to him uh, being successful in, in 2020. It's just a matter of uh, turning that two-month stretch into a prolonged, consistent approach in 2020. And one of the great points that you make, and it, it's always easy to get impatient with players. You watch Javi Baez play, for example, and you know it took him a while to see the guy that we see now. Marcus Simeon, the same way. I mean, he played at an MVP level this year. It took him some time to get there, and the numbers are pretty comparable, as you point out, with Crawford and Baez and Simeon and some of the other players at that position early in their careers. Yeah, uh, Simeon, Javier Baez, Tim Anderson, who won the, the batting title this year, uh, Willie Adamas over in uh, Tampa. I mean, these guys have you know, twice, three times as many at-bats as, uh, as Crawford does, and Crawford actually outslugged them in his first 600 uh, plate appearances as compared to their first 600 plate appearances. So, yeah, um, there's a lot of things that suggest with a little bit more seasoning. And I think the important thing here is um, cleaning up the mechanics of his swing um, with a little fine tooling there. Uh, there's pieces that can really turn him into an explosive part of the Mariners lineup for the foreseeable future. Joe Doyle is our guest on the hot stove. He's a contributor to Baseball America and Lookout Landing, among other publications. Uh, we we want to talk to you a little bit about a short piece you wrote about Jared Kelnick. Uh, but I am curious, Joe, since you've uh, rattled off a couple of different metrics and statistics, I, I, I am curious, your favorite statistic. Now, let's preface this just so nobody, like, yells at the radio. Uh, you know, there's no, there's no one statistic that tells us everything. Right. We're we're tr always we're constantly trying to look for the best kind of puzzle pieces to put together an argument for what we think uh, right or wrong uh, about a player. Uh, hopefully, we're right more times than not. But I'm curious that uh, your your favorite kind of go to statistic, and then the one statistic, and it, it could be a new one, it could be an old one, it could be somewhere in the middle that that you just think is complete hogwash. That's a good question. I think on the offensive side, the weighted runs creative plus is uh, an invaluable statistic. It's, it's, it doesn't play favorites. Uh, it takes into account the entire league. It takes into account ballpark factors uh, that are out of players' control. And um, 
it really sets a baseline for what league average is. Um, so there's, it's hard to it's hard to argue in one way or another against that stat being a uh, a positive indicator of performance. It, it's just it it works. And then uh, for pitching, uh, fielding, independent pitching, fit, I think is is another one of those that it takes it takes away the errors. It takes away uh, you know the ballpark factors and everything like that, and it boils a pitching performance down to strikeouts, walks, and home runs. And if if you're a pitcher that can keep the strikeouts high, the walks low, and the ball in the ballpark, um, that's going to be a good indicator of success. And so, uh, so FIP and weighted runs created plus are are a couple of my favorites. And and the hogwash stat <laughs> <laughs> is there is there a stat? Uh, that, like, excuse me. Is there is there a is there a stat that you uh, that you cringe every time you hear? Let's just be honest. You hear a broadcaster talk about it. Uh, you know, um, as much as as much as you hate to say it, uh, I think batting average has as as valuable as it is, and it does have its place in the game. Um, there's a lot of holes in it uh, when it comes to opportunities that come to players, um, as well as uh, park factors, what division you're playing in, um, things like that. So there's always going to be a place for batting average. It's uh, it's a staple of the sport, but it's got a lot of holes in it. So you wrote another piece recently that caught our eye, entitled The Most Polished Power Speed Prospects for 2020. And Mariner fans will be happy to know there's a couple names, a couple of Mariners minor leaguers on that list. Yep. So I, I wanted to do a little bit of research this past offseason and kind of shortening the gap between what a prospect could be and what a prospect is going to be. And so what I did was, I dove in and I wanted to see who the most polished five-tool prospects there are out there. And, and to be a polished five-tool prospect, you're tried and true. You're going to have a slugging percentage over five. Um, first and foremost, you got to be able to hit the ball hard. Uh, you got to strike out less than 23% of the time, which is better than league average. You got to draw a walk more than nine and a half percent of the time, which is better than league average as well. And here's the kicker. Uh, you have to have stolen 15 bases last season. So, for reference, those don't seem like like uh, huge constraints, but at the major league level, only Cody Bellinger, Mookie Betts, and Christian Yelich achieved all four at the same time. And at the minor league level, uh, Jared Kelnick was one of four full-season prospects, and full-season means a-ball, high-A, double-A, triple-A, to achieve that. Um, and the other guys on the list, and this is what makes it kind of an exciting bit of research, the other guys on the list are all top 50 prospects, and Kyle Tucker, Dylan Carlson, and Jeter Downs. Uh, Noel V. Marte also makes that list, but with a, he is uh, still at short season, um, the Dominican Summer League, so... I hadn't done that over as prolonged a stretch, and there were a couple other guys that did it at that low-A short season level. Um, so I want to see them do that at a higher level before really putting my eggs in those baskets. But, yeah, I think um, all of this research, what it points to for Kellenic is he's going to be a guy that has a very high floor, if nothing else. It's, I'm not suggesting this assures that he's going to be a star by any means, 
but it certainly points to someone that has it figured out at the at the plate as far as an approach goes, and he's got loud tools to back it up. Yeah, I, I love I love that way of looking at Kalnick because, hey, we, we have not seen him play above double A, obviously, but when you think of the prospects of yesteryear for the Mariners that have not turned out, right, that maybe never saw the big leagues or who saw the big leagues but fizzled, it just doesn't seem like that is possible with the tools that Kelnick has and the numbers that he has put together. Even if he doesn't become, uh, you know, Trout Jr. at, at the highest watermark, it, it seems like at the very worst he is a at least an average everyday contributor to a major league team, which we can be greedy and want way more than that. But man, it doesn't seem like he's a bust. Yeah, and I think it's it's fair to, to want more than that, and I think there's a very good justification that you're going to get more than that. But um, as you mentioned with some of the previous prospects that haven't quite turned out uh, in Seattle's favor, at that big league level, um, if you have liabilities or holes in your swing or holes in your game, um, those are going to be showcased by, by major league pitching at one stage or another. Um, so I think Kellenick has some of the tools that suggest he won't go through a sophomore slump, or if he does, um, you know, he's going to be able to pick the pieces back up quicker than some others were able to. Joe Doyle is our guest, uh, contributing writer for Baseball America and Look at Landing. Joe, I'm, I'm curious, with all the prospects that the Mariners have accumulated and now have in the farm system this year, uh, which prospect – Outside of the obvious guys, right? Like, what's Julio Rodriguez going to do this year? Uh, what which prospect are you most interested to see and track over the course of the 2020 season? So, one that I'm really high on is Brandon Williamson. He's he's going to be fringing on one of the top ten prospects uh, for the Mariners on most lists, but he's a big, tall, lanky lefty that uh, Seattle took in the second round last year. Um, he had a velocity spike that a lot of people didn't expect and the, uh, slider and curveball flashed above average or better in a lot of his outings at Everett. Uh, the biggest thing with Williamson is just going to be able to being able to stay healthy. He's had some strange injuries, uh, at TCU, including, you know, hip injuries and, um, things that kept him off the field. So I'll be excited to see what Williamson can do. Uh, in Modesto this year. And then uh, if you want to dig even a little bit deeper, um, uh, a pitcher that Seattle brought over from the Nationals last year, Aaron Fletcher, uh, I think he's going to be one of the better relievers in the entire organization this year. He's the lefty that has splits against left-handers and right-handers that suggest he's not going to have any trouble with uh, the three-batter minimum whatsoever. So he's definitely going to be a name much. I know we're a ways away, but the Mariners have a high draft pick in the first round this year. They'll be picking sixth. And I know the college season just started. The high school season hasn't started yet. But are there a couple names that you're looking at for that spot early on? Yeah, well, a couple is one way to say it. Uh, it's definitely <laughs> early. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, no, we're only, you know, three or four games for in some cases for right. the season. And, um you never want to, you never want to have the sixth pick in the draft. But if you're going to have the sixth pick, this is this is certainly the year to do it. 
it's an incredibly deep draft. And um, it looks right now as though the top three is probably fairly set in stone as early as it can be this six months out. But uh, there's an outfielder, uh, a high school outfielder by the name of Zach Veen um, out of, I believe it's Florida. Uh, he's six foot five. He's got, he's, I, I think he's got the hit tool that uh, Jared Kelnick honestly did having, uh, coming out of high school. But at six foot five, he's, he produces tremendous power. He put on 20 pounds of, of muscle this past off season. And um, he looks like he's going to be a real impact bat at the next level. Um, but I think if I were a betting man, I think Seattle will probably go the college arm route. And uh, there's a number of guys uh, at the college level that in, in any other year would be potential top three picks. Um, and several of them will be dropping into the top six to 10 range. It's just that deep this year. So uh, keep an eye on guys like Max Meyer from Minnesota, Cole Wilcox from Georgia. And then uh, another one is Reed Detmers out of Louisville. I think uh, whoever Seattle ends up with, they're going to have a top of the rotation type ceiling arm for sure. Well, hey, Joe, this is a ton of great information. We we appreciate you taking some time and discussing all of it with us, uh, and we have really enjoyed your writing, especially some of the deep dives you did on J.P. Crawford, for example. Thank you for joining us tonight. Yeah, thanks for having me. Our thanks to Joe Doyle, contributing writer for Baseball America, Look at Landing, and a number of other publications for hopping on the hot stove this evening. Well, you know, when we come back, we are going to uh, hear from uh, Mariners reliever Art Warren, who talked things over with Shannon Dreher the other day. Well, the Mariners are changing the game with our all-new Flex membership. Go to the games you want, sit in the seats you want, and get the savings you want all when you want. For more information on how to choose your membership and enjoy discounted seats all season long, visit mariners.com slash flex. Art Warren is on the program after this timeout. All things Mariners, all off-season. The Hot Stove on 710 ESPN Seattle, 710sports.com, and the 710 Seattle Sports app. That's been a fantastic hot stove. Our final one before heading down to Peoria. Position players reported yesterday, first game on Saturday, opening day at T-Mobile Park, March the 26th, against the Texas Rangers. Well, if you heard her earlier in this hour, Shannon Dreyer is already down in Peoria. She's had a chance to talk already and do a number of interviews with many Mariners, both position players and pitchers. One of them, Mariners reliever Art Warren, who began by talking about the different sports he played in high school. So I just played uh, football and baseball. Uh I played uh, football for three years in high school. I was I was in my freshman year. I was actually a backup punter for the JV team. You know, I like taking credit at that. <laughs> the backup punter. That's right. I wasn't the starting punter. Were you still tall then? Were you big then? Yeah, I was about. I was about six two then, but I was only about a hundred. Hunter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. About one hundred eighty five pounds okay. um, at that time. All right. And then, by the time my junior year came around, it was my final year playing football. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was a left tackle at six three, one hundred ninety five pounds. You know, you guys know being on the offensive line, those guys usually range from 250 mm-hmm. to 300 pounds easily mm-hmm. in high school. So I, I kind of struggled, obviously. But I was one of the bigger bigger guys in my high school at the time. Like I said, smaller town. Um, so I had tried had to hold my own. Now we played LeBron's high school in football. Okay. And they had a defensive tackle going to Bowling Green State University. Mm-hmm. And I just remember this game vividly because 
I just I just got beat up on the line all game long, and I got exploited the next morning during film. But basically, he was 285 pounds, and I was 195 oh. pounds. And so, what you do on the line, defense tackle, and for offensive tackles, try to grab underneath their pads right here. He just grabbed me, and, and he just watched in the backfield. And, and if they were running towards me, he just threw me out of the way. Oh, no. So yeah, I struggle with that. <laughs> Uh, the next question, I hope it wasn't related to that, but why baseball? Why was that your sport? You know, I, I loved baseball growing up. I actually preferred to be a third baseman over a pitcher. I loved playing third base. Uh, I was always a pretty good hitter for my age group. And then I made the transition to college, and I started struggling once I started seeing a consistent 90-mile-an-hour fastball. Mm -hmm. And then the coaches, <clears throat> they saw my arm, obviously, and they're like, hey, we think you should go the pitching route. Mm -hmm. But baseball, I... I think I just always enjoyed it. I played it more um, when I was growing up at a younger age. Kind of like Albert Pujols. That's why I wore number five all the time. Okay. I think that's kind of why I enjoyed being a hitter as well. But yeah. I think baseball, I just fell in love with it at a young age. I remember always telling my mom, and she was, she's always reminding me, like, I want to play in the big leagues one day. Mom, I want to be a major league baseball player. And it's really cool to, to say that I am a major league baseball player now. That is absolutely awesome. Awesome. Um, other thing that stands out, obviously the voice, and you hear yeah. that all of the time. <laughs> I do. Have you ever done anything with that? I have done maybe one or two podcasts. Okay. Um, that's about it. One with Lookout Landing and another one with a former teammate, you know who, uh, Lance Stonvold. Yeah. So Lance did a, uh, a podcast with me about my faith and tying that in with baseball. Mm -hmm. And then with Lookout Landing, I did kind of just more like one of these, just an informal interview. Sit down and chat. Get to know, yeah. There you go. So, but that's all I've done. But everyone, even Ian McKinney just now, he goes, you know, I could see you being a late night radio talk host. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, Ian, everybody's always telling me that I should do something in radio, something in broadcasting. You're welcome to come on our right? radio anytime <laughs> yeah. you absolutely want. Do you sing? I, I can sing maybe one song. Oh, come on. Really? That's yeah, all? it's just the one. I only know like one verse. It's like, maybe lock them doors and turn the lights down low. That's about all I can do. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I was dancing to Old Town Road on the bus in AA last year. That's, and I sang a little bit with that. But okay. I don't really do too much singing. No, not a lot of karaoke. We talked to Cal Raleigh in a bit, and I know down in Modesto they had the Beef Boys song. Did that make it to Arkansas last year? What was it? Oh, you guys don't know about nope, that. Nope, I'm okay. not sure. I'm not telling you. I don't want to get in trouble <laughs> for this one. We'll just spring it on and don't say anything. Okay. Um, special team last year, and it, it seemed like a lot of, um, you had a good core group of guys, mm -hmm. and you also had guys that came up and joined it. And it was funny because everybody that I talked to, they were like, yeah, they had us come in and do the spring training meetings, and Art was leading them. <laughs> yeah. And uh, talk about what you, you wanted to kind of accomplish with that team and getting them and keeping them together. Right. Way. So right around the time that Mitch left, maybe even before that, we started had guys started having guys just filter in and out. Oh, I forgot it's, about it's, that. You lost your manager. Yeah, we lost our manager. Right. right. Okay. So we had a lot of turnover, and it happens every year right around that time. Right. And we had such a tight-knit group, as you said. And the core group were like, okay, how can we help? And we knew, like, there's a younger group coming up catching us. You know, mm -hmm. they're coming to play with us. How can we make these younger guys, by like three or four years, feel comfortable in the locker room with the older guys? Mm -hmm. And so we kind of developed this method of just, let's just have like an interview, you know, in front of the team. We'll call the team right before, it was right after BP. So really about an hour before the game, guys start to hit the showers and go through the routines for five minutes before the game. Whenever somebody new came up, we'd have a set time. And I, with my voice, I was just like, hey, we got a meeting. <laughs> and everybody kind of round up. 
and uh, we'd take just five minutes so we didn't inter- interfere with anybody's um, routines and all that, but we would just kind of ask them questions. And what I did was I was like, okay, I was like, we do this with all the new players. You know, can you just say your name and where you're from? Mm-hmm. And uh, and then I was like, uh, just give us, like, you know, what your favorite movies are or, you know, just a little bit about you. If you weren't here playing baseball, what would you be doing? Mm-hmm. Just something that, you know, if, if I came up to you, we could have a conversation about something, whether it's movies or something. Just try mm-hmm. to find something in common. Break the ice. Wow. <laughs> we wrap this one up Nice quick. heads up, right? <laughs> um but anyway, so uh, so we had these team meetings to try to, to tighten the group together, and I think that really helped. Yeah. And so, like, guys like Cal and Logan and Kellenick that came up early um, at a young age, we tried to tighten that group up and make them feel comfortable. That way they can perform at their highest level and help us on the field as well. Well, great things last year and then the debut, and we're looking for more this year. Exactly. I'm trying to build off that. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you, Shannon. Thank you. Uh, the, the answer that is, is yes. We do get jealous when we hear Art Warren. Yeah. Uh, Man, he's got some pipes. We love Art Warren, and uh, great interview there from Shannon, who was working really hard down in Peoria. She's interviewing everybody down there. And uh, as uh, we talked about earlier when Shannon was on the show, uh, she's doing a great video series. She's interviewed about eight players already. Uh, Those interviews will be posted uh, to MyNorthwest.com, and you can get a a real good look uh, at some guys that you might know a little bit already. Tywan Walker is an example. Now I'm back with the ball club. Other guys, you might maybe haven't heard him speak at all, like in Evan White, who's uh, looking like he will break camp as the Mariners' uh, opening day first baseman. Well, this has been a really fun hot stove show. In the first hour, we had a chance to talk things over with Mariners catcher Tom Murphy, who had a fantastic, really, breakout season last year, his first year with the organization, and he gave a lot of credit, a lot of love to his coaches. It was a lot of things. It was uh, you know an opportunity to fail. Uh, it was an opportunity to go out and learn you know, how to hit in the big leagues, how to deal with all the different pressure and all the different uh, atmospheres and that sort of thing. Uh, and then he goes to the coaching as well. I came over here and immediately hit it off with Tim Laker and Jared Hart. And, and those guys really drove me to be a better hitter overall, for sure, um, on both sides, you know, the physical side and the, the mental approach side, uh, having a game plan side. I mean, those guys are, are lights out. They're as good as it gets. And uh, you know, I'm definitely thankful for all the time and effort they spent with me last year, for sure. Hey, speaking of Tim Laker, he joined us a segment later following Tom Murphy. We asked the Mariners hitting coach about uh, two of the most promising young stars, not just in the Mariners organization, but in all of minor league baseball, of course, Julio Rodriguez and Jared Kelnick. The thing that jumps out at me is, is both of them, um, the two of them just exude confidence. I mean, these guys really, they're they're not intimidated um, being up here, and, and I don't mean that in a bad way. It's not like they're, you know, really cocky and rubbing people on. They, they they just feel like they belong. You know, they don't feel like they're that far away, um, and they don't feel like overwhelmed by the situation. And, and for two guys as young as that, that's like really impressive to me. I mean, that, that's that's not something that you can put on them, right? They come, they just a player just comes wired that way. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I mean, I'm sure that's probably how Ken Griffey was his first uh, big league spring training. You know, that's. I mean, I just feel like those guys, like, it's not. You know, a lot of young guys are like hoping they get to the big leagues. These these two guys, like, they know they're getting to the big leagues, and it's just like for them, like, when when's it going to happen? You know, and and they know that they, you know, they're going to get there, and they know that when they get there, they they belong. That was Mariners hitting coach Tim Laker. As uh, we have reached the final minute of the final hot stove show. Gary, 
Um, this is your baby. You produce this beauty each and every week. Fine work all off season long. Can I tell you what I did during that Tim Laker interview? I went to YouTube. Everyone should do this. Oh yes, and go to Gary Carter's finally final hit. And every time we talk to Tim Laker, it reminds me of this moment because it's amazing. He gets his final hit in an Expos uniform. The place is going crazy. Carter, he is pumping his fist. He's thrilled. And Tim Laker comes to give him a five because he pinch runs for him at second base. It's it's fantastic. I love it. You know what else I learned about Tim Laker? He went to high school and is like best friends with the all-time leading scorer in UCLA basketball history, Don McLean. What? Yes. Former Seattle Supersonic. They're like Don McLean. They are super tight, man. Like really? since high school. Huh. Yeah, isn't that amazing? That one high school pumps out those two guys. That's that's incredible. That's pretty great. Well, our thanks to Tim Laker, to Tom Murphy, Andrew Simon, a researcher and writer at MLB.com. Of course, Shannon Dreher and Joe Doyle, contributing writer to Baseball America. And look at Landing for joining us here on the final Hot Stove Show of the season. The Mariners' Cactus League opener is all set for Saturday, opening day, March 26th. Of course, at home at T-Mobile Park against the Texas Rangers. So for Gary Hill, for Mike Blowers, for DeAndre Jermaine Wilder, and all who made this one possible, I'm Aaron Goldsmith. We'll be talking to you from Peoria. On the other side of this break, we hand things over to the great sweater vest, Matt Chazanow, the Kyle Smith Show. All that straight ahead. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. 